Welcome to season two of Gray Maybe, a limited series podcast and social experiment based on this season's topic, the body. My name is Jillian Schmitz. I'm a professional dancer, actor, teacher, author, artist, and cat lover. Through my own personal journey of recovery, I've found that things aren't just black or white, or as simple as yes or no. For me, in my recovery, there has been mostly gray area and a lot of maybes. In most of my stories, you can find the gray maybe. I will be sharing my own process through personal stories, interviews, and hopefully stories from listeners in an effort to help lessen the stigma and shame of disordered eating, eating disorders, and body image. If you'd like to share your story of ED recovery on this podcast, anonymous or otherwise, please email graymaybestories at gmail.com. G-R-E-Y-M-A-Y-B-E-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at gmail.com. Before we get started, if you haven't already, please subscribe on whichever platform you're using to catch future episodes of Gray Maybe. A note before we begin. The topic of disordered eating, eating disorders, body dysmorphia, and other behavior related to the body may not be difficult for me to share anymore, but it wasn't always this way. I recognize and anticipate the possibility of judgment or disbelief about my experiences, ranging from my own family members to strangers, in addition to the potentiality of losing certain opportunities for publicizing my own experiences. My stories and the stories of others on this podcast are told through the lens of our own experience. The revelation of our process is ours to tell. If you disagree with the views or stories on this podcast, know that we are not speaking on anything other than our own experiences and viewpoints. Take what you like and leave the rest. Nothing expressed or mentioned in this podcast is an endorsement or is meant to be taken as suggestion or advice. It is strictly the sharing of our own experiences and recovery. Any feelings this podcast activates in the listener is for the listener to process and recover from. Any criticism you have based on these experiences and choices are yours, and they are not anyone else's burden to carry. Trigger warning. Eating disorders, disordered eating, bulimia, weight gain and loss, dieting, fat phobia, body dysmorphia, depression, anxiety, suicide, sexual assault, and discussion about processing generalized trauma. Welcome back to Gray Maybe Podcast. I have a guest that is back today. I had her on the first season. If you listen to the first season of the Gray Maybe Podcast, I had a very, very uh, like well listened to. It was a very popular episode with my dear, dear bestie, best friend Jada Ellingham, who is an MA LMFT family uh, psychotherapist and. I'm so lucky to have her as a friend because I kind of get free therapy, but I'm not allowed to call it free therapy because that's, in her words, unethical. It is a conflict of interest, and she's very ethical. So I'm bringing her back today because, well, her episode, a lot of people listened to. They really liked it. They seem to like her, uh, which I understand greatly why. And, uh, you know, we'll see where this takes us. She's probably going to talk a bit about processing trauma and process in general. That's what she talked about in the last episode, and I think it was super helpful for not only myself, but a lot of the other uh, listeners. So, 
Jada Ellingham, welcome back to the Gray Maybe podcast. Will you give yourself like a little intro for those of, of the listeners who might not have heard the first episode? Yes. If you didn't hear my name, <laughs> my name is Jada Ellingham. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, my background, I have a, a private practice and I work with anxiety, trauma, and grief and a lot of relational issues, um, couples, individual, family therapy. And that's right. about it. That's all you got. That's my uh, intro. Well, I, also, I mean, I, because people don't know you, per, before you did this career trajectory, you were a professional dancer. Yes. And you were a successful professional dancer. You had a very uh, well-regarded and desired career mm -hmm. in the professional dance arena. Mm -hmm. Yes. You're also from Canada. Mm -hmm. I find that, you, like, you know, I watched you work really hard to get your citizenship, answer questions on a citizenship quiz that I would have failed or test. Yeah, I think <laughs> if I retook personally... it, I'd probably fail it because I think I've forgotten everything. No, you've just become very American. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You're a true American now. You can't Thank pass you. your own <laughs> civics test. Um, so there's I'm just trying to say a bunch of things about you, uh, you know, so people kind of get an idea a little bit. You're also a mother. Mm -hmm. I have two kids, yes. um, a seven-year-old yes. and a almost three-year-old. Yeah, and I think a lot yes. of today, what we should probably touch base on is what it means to have a secure base, right? Because the world is precarious. You know, it's it's hard to navigate, right? And and kind of when I was listening to the your episodes about um, disordered eating, I thought a lot about that right and it's not that you know your parents weren't well intended or you know didn't have their own stressors but when you think about your childhood and being a, a child of an alcoholic right um, and really no space to process those feelings you have to do something with them right you have to contain them um, as I think about my own children, you know, and, and what it's like to be school age, so young, you know, six and seven, um, and navigating relationships even, right? These kids, all these kids come from homes. And they're doing the best they can, given what is modeled, right? But like, I have a child who is highly empathetic and experiences what most people aren't seeing. So he will look at mm. all the conflict. He, that's what he's focused mm. on. He's not focused on like reading or his shapes or his math, right? He is mm. highly fixated on the dysfunction of the room. And he comes from a great class. He's got a fantastic team, a fantastic teacher. You know, I mean, the best of the best, right? Let's, oh yeah, we've talked about this. Yeah, if, we're jealous. If, I, if we could have, <laughs> yes, if we could have had what he had, oh, who I would yeah. be today. Today, <laughs> yes, yeah. And sometimes I do have the you know the urge, which is not very therapeutic, by the way, to be like, suck it up, <laughs> <laughs> right? You want to you want to push that you want to transfer that trauma down to the next generation because you're you like, look, you look, I I want. I want it to be better for you, but not that much better. Come on, like, yeah. get it, get it together. <laughs> Pull it together. You are so lucky, right? And yet, you know what? You can't, right? But there is that part but of you know what? as a kid, like the part that is unprocessed in yourself. Yes. When you have children that sort of, 
you know, you have to reparent yourself, which is so, can I say, uh, yeah, of course I can, fucking hard. It is so hard. Yeah. You know? It, it, well, yeah, because if, if your parents weren't great, how are you supposed to parent great? <laughs> well, you know, our parents do the best they can given their, their, their generation and what they were given, right? And a right. lot of the North yeah. American, I'll say, sort of mindset is to sort of fixate on what is positive and ignore the rest. Ignore the rest. Yeah. And there's like this, this, this glamour around being able to rise above or ignore what is happening. And I just see it so clearly with my kid. He can't, Mm -hmm. he cannot. Mm -hmm. Right. And he doesn't have a history of trauma, right? He has a secure base. He comes back and we do the very best that we can. Um, Sometimes we miss the mark, but the way I see it is like my framework for parenting. And I laugh about this and I tell my clients about this is that like, I'm doing reparative work. I'm just like, I'm going to mess up and I have to give space to myself to make mistakes because, you know, insert perfectionism, right. Insert Mm -hmm. like wanting to be enough. Right. And especially when you, when you have a role as a parent, you don't want to do onto your kid, what was done onto you, whether it be from family generational trauma or, or societal, right. You want to do better, you know, but like everyone's trying to, to do a little better than what they had. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and what's interesting is like, you know, Hayden's grandparents, right. Are the best of the best grandparents, but there's, I think there's something that happens as a grandparent where you can relinquish control. Oh no. 100%. I saw something on Instagram the other day that was like, Oh, I wish I was raised by my kids' grandparents. (laughs) You know, like the joke is that like your parents are no longer like the crazy people you grew up with. They're like these like loving, amazing, like, yeah, yeah. I just saw that stuff. I had to read it four times to like understand. I was like, wait, but that is your parents. Yes. That's the fucking joke. I wish my kids, I wish I was raised by my kids' grandparents. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, like in saying this, right, like there's a, there's a very hard dance that that get it dance that you'll do mm-hmm. with like, like in therapy to give space and have compassion for your parents whatever mm-hmm. the ailment whatever the struggle was mm-hmm. while like giving some space for yourself mm-hmm. to feel the pain of what you experienced it, it, it's tough right and so part it of was... it is like moving through that narrative you know yes it was very validating in therapy to acknowledge some things that happened in childhood, uh, you know, and, and get validation of like, my parents did the best they could. Mm-hmm. It what it might not have been what I needed. Mm-hmm. You know, like I might've been kind of mismatched. Like mm-hmm. I might've needed a different set of parents. My parents might be fine for 99% of other, mm-hmm. you know, raising of kids. But for me, it wasn't, I, I needed a little something different but uh, that they, you know, I've definitely come to terms with the fact that they did the best they could. And yeah. I, I don't, I, I talk a lot about things that happen in my childhood because I think it's, it's, uh, it gives me a frame of reference. Mm-hmm. And for me, it gives like, I'll keep saying that word validation of like, oh, right, well, that makes sense why I might feel this way or why I process it, mm-hmm. process that. And then I can kind of move forward from there. And there was a program that really helped me kind of find 
more empathy for my parents, forgiveness, or even just, you know, a different reframing Mm -hmm. uh, to continue to have like relationships with them and in a a much better way than I was previous. And for me, that program was Mm -hmm. Al-Anon for people who might be looking for something like that. Um, So let me ask you, like, uh, here, this is my funny question. Okay, so I come into your office. I have an eating disorder, disordered eating body dysmorphia. Okay, go. Is that a good segue? That's a yeah, terrible segue. I, I, but okay, so well, now go, Jada. Okay, I need so you let me to you, cure me. Yeah, well, let me give you some of the process, <laughs> right? To, just so maybe anybody who's listening to try to destigmatize and sort of create a space for therapy to be a safe space, right? You know, sometimes you need to know what you're getting yourself into. And so a lot of people won't go to therapy because they think, oh, the therapist is going to judge me. Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, 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 there's people that won't disclose certain things. And I really, um, with somebody, let's say that has, uh, eating disorders or a history of trauma, I'm really mindful of boundaries because typically people who have trauma where they were, um, you know, the control was taken Mm -hmm. from them. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so when someone like you would, you know, our first visit, I've already had you fill out, first of all, an informed consent, right? Which is like, what is the boundary between you and me? What, you know, you're going to pay me even if you cancel 24 hours in advance, right? There's certain things that protect the relationship, right? Um, The other part is like confidentiality, right? That everything that you say there in the office is confidential between you and me. That means you have autonomy, you have control, right? That's why it's so important to like have that ethical, legal thing there, which is a lot of, you'll see a lot of, which kind of bothers me, I have to be honest, right? When you, when you go on Instagram and you see people sort of navigating different career choices, but they're not really trained, mm-hmm. you'll see them breaching these really important boundaries for people, which are yeah. like, either they're talking about a client that they coach and you see, I did this right. That they coach and Mm -hmm. they are talking about them giving off demographic, you know, like they didn't get permission to speak Mm -hmm. that person's story. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so therapists are holding that and and it's very important. There's only like a few things that because therapists are mandated reporters. Right. And I make this very clear, you know, because I want people to have, agency i want them to have choice Mm -hmm. but like if you're going to tell me that your neighbor is molesting a child right right you need to know ahead of time that when you that you know the authorities are going to show up at that door because i am a mandated reporter i have to right report this right so right uh sexual abuse physical abuse neglect um emotional abuse is kind of like this gray area right it's not you know because it's like what does that even mean right? right um suicide homicide if you're gonna hurt yourself and i know that you have a plan or somebody else (laughs) i am a mandated reporter right like you know if you're saying to me you know like i i want to hurt myself i'm gonna start asking questions Mm -hmm. like though it might be uncomfortable i'm gonna be asking you and this will be the first session right because if i know you're engaging in self-harm i have to assess Mm -hmm what's what's the eminent danger to yourself 
right? Because I am not only liable, I'm also a caring individual who wants to make sure that you're safe, right? If so I spend 12 hours a day on Instagram, would you consider that self-harm? Because I feel like it might be. <laughs> I think that the, yeah, I think the endless, <laughs> the endless loop of instant gratification and yeah. the lack of nuance in some posts and mm-hmm. this sort of hijacking of what vulnerability really is, is, mm-hmm. is self-harm. It's not good on the mental health, right? Because people are actively there comparing is... to other yes. people. You have a responsibility when you share content to make sure that you're only you know, that you're disclosing like you do, right? This is mine. This is my story. I don't speak for everybody, right? But you have people that maybe have a history of trauma or maybe have these, these you know, issues that arise in their life and they speak globally, right? Because people like the answer and you're kind of exploiting that anxiety because people need that answer. They want to know the, the black or white. Right, they want to know right. that it can be tied in a nice little bow, little box, pretty. Right, they don't like the messy. So okay, so you walk into my room. I already know. Um, okay, uh, Jillian has a history of developmental trauma. Um, mm-hmm. There is an association She's... between her eating and affect regulation, which is the ability to regulate through an emotion that wasn't the space she was given at home. Um, she has a history in dance (laughs) i laugh because it's like brutal right where you're just like in a culture of body awareness yep but also you know your body is glorified when you're sick Mm -hmm. you know i know that Mm -hmm. for myself like the times i was in the worst relationships my body was literally eating itself i was that anxious Mm -hmm. i wasn't I wasn't purging. I wasn't. I wasn't doing compensatory uh, behaviors. I wasn't engaging in those. Not diuretics. Nothing like that. Mm-hmm. But I was mm-hmm. so anxious. I was skinny. But I'll tell you, I got so many compliments. Yeah. You know, and and I remember saying, I think probably at this time I was at the beginning of my psych program. I remember saying to somebody because they're like, "Girl, your body is beat," and I was like, "You know what? Mm-hmm. My body's eating itself." But thanks. <laughs> <laughs> like I am so sick right yeah. now. My hotness is a reflection of how sick I am. That's yeah. confusing. And I think it's a really good reminder because I think our culture so much, I don't like, it's hard to compliment someone without it being tied to physicality. Like the next time you go to compliment someone, think or like when you're complimenting someone, notice how often you go to the physical to compliment someone. And I have a friend of mine who's, um, lovely, lovely uh, mother uh, had, you know, has passed away from cancer. But when she was really sick with cancer, she was very thin at, at one point. And people were constantly telling her how great she looked. And I remember my friend tell- talking about this all the time because it's, it's, it, 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 I know people don't mean to be offensive, but you just never know what anybody's physical situation is. And so I've always tried to really try to not comment on people's uh, weight loss or gain. Mm -hmm. Um, And even in my head, because I was, um, because I was so fixated on my own body, it also led me to very much obsess about what 
other people's weight loss mm-hmm. and gain were as a comparative measure. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so if someone looked to me like they might have gained weight, I would really obsess about that. And that's like really shameful to say out loud because I don't like that. Mm-hmm. And I've tried to um, change that in myself uh, it, it, because unfortunately noticing things is what we all do. And some of us notice more things than others. Um, Hayden and I notice a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Your son and I have mm-hmm. that in common. And so when I notice those things, I have to gently remind myself that other people's bodies are not my business mm-hmm. and that I don't need to uh, notice it. It's not, it's none of my business. And in teaching younger adults, I have to be really careful too, because I do worry about their health. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I see them maybe drop weight quickly, mm-hmm. I don't, it's hard to like, how do I let them know that I care about them, that I'm happy to listen if they have anything they want to talk about and then promote my own, what I've learned as positive body reinforcement mm-hmm. and image without saying you've lost weight. Mm-hmm. Because when I was told you've lost weight, oh, that was the best thing you could tell me. Mm-hmm. That was like, at a girl, you're on the right track. Keep yeah. doing what you're and, doing. And you're getting you're that, succeeding. that girl gratification that love yes. from somebody else and yes. that's intoxicating right yes you see me you love me but you don't really see me right you're just seeing my form right and and you know i think this is well we'll talk about we'll talk about a little bit like how i would work with somebody who comes in with um you know a, a disordered eating or body dysmorphia um but like you know, it, it, again, you have to get down to the process. You you know, first, uh, you know, I'm going to assess, like, what happened in childhood? I, I, I need to know more, right? Because right. I'm, I'm trying to catch this pattern that was fused it, at that time that becomes mm-hmm. this, this, it almost becomes like um, a, a protective mechanism, right? right? So it's really reinforcing. I call my best friend, my first yeah. best friend. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. It's like alcohol too, right? Alcohol is a best yes. friend to people. Mm-hmm. Cigarettes are best friend for people, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. it's a thing that you can rely on and it gives yeah. you a different experience of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. When the internal work is so toxic, right? Because you're literally, like I said, your body's eating itself, right? Your body is, mm-hmm. it feels sick. It Anxiety. Mm-hmm guilt, you know, it doesn't, those aren't great feelings, right? And we naturally mm-hmm. want to purge them mm-hmm. without moving through them, without regulating mm-hmm. through them, right? And so I need to catch this process and help my clients catch the process of like when that was first reinforced. And really, it's going to be body-based, which is going to be hard because there's a disconnect from the body. What do you mean? Like that's body based? Can you give an example? Yeah, like the trauma is held in your body, mm-hmm. right? So when you re-experience trauma in your environment, every mm-hmm. single cue that was at that time and reinforced over a period of time is going to be triggering. So most people with trauma aren't aware that yeah, when I was uh, sexually assaulted in that alley, it was dark. Mm-hmm. There was a garbage can. There was a mm. noise. There was, right? Mm. So all these these stimuli become reinforcers. And in your environment, in, in life, you're going to pass that garbage can. It's going to be dark. Mm. You're going to hear footsteps. Maybe hear a mm-hmm. with a door. Whatever was happening at the time gets reinforced in your body. And you're going to have a trauma response. Mm. 
and you're going to feel. And you might not know it. No, and you're going to feel crazy. Yes. You're going to feel crazy and your behavior will look disorganized. Okay. Mm -hmm. So traumatized behavior, which people will judge, is disorganized behavior. It doesn't make sense. You can't make sense of it. You can't come at it from the, the, the frontal lobe. You know what I mean? You got to come at it from the body. Mm-hmm. You can get kind of primal with it, right? So what I do is mm-hmm. I might notice in session you're talking about, I'm going to, you know, try to keep you in this, the, this space of talking about that, that the, you know, the dining with your parents. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell me about that, right? And I might notice as you're talking, you're holding your breath. Mm-hmm. You might do something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. You hear you hear that? Right. That's important information more so than what you're talking about. And I might right. say to you, as you're talking about, do you notice that you just kind of like quivered? Do you think that you can shift that? Or do you think that you can breathe through that? And what I might notice is a lot of sort of moving around. Like, you know, I'm, I'm doing telehealth, right? Mm-hmm. So, I might notice someone like also like, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Start moving and shifting around. And right. I'm like. They're in and out of the frame. <laughs> yeah, you're going to go. They turn off. Their, their, their camera goes yeah. off, right? And so yeah. I know right there I'm hitting on something. So now I pull back. And I might validate. I might say, hey, you know, I know this is hard. I can see it in your body. This feels unsafe. Now what did I do? I just reinforced in your mind. I feel unsafe in my body right now. There's a feeling I'm having as I'm talking about this. Boom. More awareness. Uh, we're starting to get um, a, a more clear narrative of what happened because what happens with trauma is it fragments in the mind. It becomes so disorganized, right? We don't know. We can't put the pieces together. So trauma work is creating a more, um, you know, a, a narrative that makes sense right? It's not like we're happy that the trauma happened, but like, you know, you are who you are because the trauma happened, right? If Yeah. I love that you said it's like putting the pieces together Mm -hmm. uh, because I've noticed so in in the process of going to therapy and doing 12-step programs and talking about recovery a lot that um, when everything was in my mind, I thought I had it very organized mm-hmm. in my mind because that's where it stayed and I knew where it was and I told you, you compartmentalized, knew, but yes, it wasn't, it I wasn't knew where it all was. No. And so then when I would go to talk about these things, it was like taking a 2000 piece puzzle mm-hmm. and throwing it mm-hmm. like everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, it does feel scary. Very, um, yeah. Oh, and it's like, whoa, I thought, you know, this was all living in my mind a certain way. I had, con- not I had at control all over like this. In my mind. Yeah, I had control yes. over this. I yes. know yes. where everything belongs and I've compartmentalized and I can navigate yes. the world like that. And that is fine, but it's going to show up in symptoms. So it's showing up in symptoms yes. like disordered eating or maybe self-harm, like cutting or um, anxiety, depression, ADD. Right. So when you talk about trauma, you really have to assess if someone's presenting ADD, which this is another like I so many people are are being diagnosed with ADD. But I'm like, you're traumatized. It's trauma. Right. right? Because it shows up disorganized. You can't. There's a lack of focus. You know, your body is like hijacked and you're avoiding the stimuli in the room 
of course you can't focus. That's not the, that's not the, the foundation for learning. It's not the foundation well, and in for talking, growth. In talking to you, especially in relationship to being a mother and children, mm-hmm. and I've talked a lot about how I feel like now as an adult person, I recognize that I probably could have gotten an autism or an ADD, certainly an OCD diagnosis, um, uh, you know, when I was younger, all of that starting to make more sense now. And I know that I've always been like, oh, it would feel so validating to have that to explain um, it. diagnosis. How, yes. However, you're uh, in talking to you, you've talked a lot about, <laughs> okay, that's fine. But now what? Yeah. Like, I'm so like, what I'm is like, it? Jillian. You get a diagnosis. <laughs> yeah. Your girl. I you're like, to you're like, cool. So do you want to go on medication? Because that's what they're going to offer you is medication diagnosis. Whereas you are like, yeah, that's fine. Autism, ADD, OCD, ADHD, all of the things. Now, how do we help people thrive in these unique circumstances and how their body is functioning? Mm-hmm. And so that's where I think like you've always come up with the same answer. And that is like mindfulness, processing trauma, but, you know, like CBT, like all this stuff. Not CBD, but CBD. <laughs> just kidding. C- but, C- <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. Cognitive <laughs> behavioral therapy. Yeah. Or, or mindfulness based. Yeah. Um, something body based, somatic experiencing, you know, EMDR, whatever. Right. Whatever the intervention is. But this is funny because, you know, I remember when you were coming to grips with it all and you can't and I'm, this is my bulldog in me right and also because i just love I'm you constantly coming to grips with something this is an ongoing process don't act like I i'm on the other side but you're like jada i'm definitely add and I, i'm i'm for sure autistic and i'm like, <laughs> and I'm like Jill, okay i know you really want that label like i, I like I, why I, didn't you tell me i was on the spectrum <laughs> And all of that, right, if you're on the spectrum, right, or you have ADD, that is a real thing, right? And it's like a neurobiological thing, right? And it's not everybody, right? So we have an uptick in all these diagnoses. And really, no one's looking at the pandemic. No one's looking at, like, the impact of these things that we've gone through collectively or individually, or if we have a good, secure base at home. Children who don't have a good, secure base at home, they, they, they go to the, the wild jungle, right, of school with all the different relationships and, 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 you know, beginnings of trauma right there. And then they come home, they get beat. Most people don't want to unearth that because, like you said, you have compartmentalized it, right? You have, you know, you put in nice little boxes, black or white, and this is safety, but it's not helping you because it's showing up as symptoms, right? And so what I'm saying is like to have a secure base, to have um, secure attachment, right? We're talking about attachment theory, right? When somebody has insecure attachment or disorganized attachment, meaning really inconsistent, right? You learn that you don't have that foundation, okay? So now you enter into the world, which is wow, right? And I see it. I see kids acting out on probably their family systems or just their own anxieties about being in an unfamiliar setting with competing demands. And they all manage it in their own way. They're children, right? But like, imagine if you're like my kid, right? So Hayden sees everything in the room. He hyperfixates on the dysfunction in the room. And because he has a very strong... I don't have to imagine any of this. This, this, is, this is your life. life. Yeah, this is me. you. Yeah, and, and he has a very strong arousal response to it. So much so that it's like how it was 
um, sort of named, which which was really great for me, was that like in his OT was like Hayden. Hayden's amygdala, right, which is his his emotional center of his brain, overshoots, overfires to certain triggers in his environment, right, and he becomes hypo aroused. He becomes panicked. It doesn't look like this is a kid without trauma, right? And it doesn't look organized. It like is almost like he gets bumped out of his window of tolerance. Like he'll start off, well, now he's having a difficult time at the beginning of the day, meaning transitioning into the school setting. He's talking about like it's scary, people are mean, right? And then he's kind of losing it, right? Like mm-hmm. there's like a definite like, you know, uh, um, extinction burst happening with his behaviors like he's amping up and it looks very disorganized right he's just got a very mm-hmm. good team there this school is amazing they've got an amazing department right but like let's imagine he didn't have that let's imagine mm-hmm. uh, you know because this is my fear as a parent right but he has it because i make sure he has it right but like imagine mm-hmm. he doesn't have it and he's a kid like my kid who's highly empathetic who sees the world he perceives it at a, at a heightened level and yet he doesn't have the language to affirm what he's seeing. It's very scary, right? Like, I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. What is going on? Why is so-and-so fighting right. with so-and-so? And so-and-so hit so-and-so. And so-and-so right. turned to me and said, I'm stupid. And so-and-so, like, what is even happening? Right? He doesn't come from that. He doesn't come from chaos. Mm-hmm. Right? But that's chaotic to his little body. And it overfires. And he gets hyper-aroused. He doesn't get hypo, which is hypo is I've dissociated. Which is what I think. Like what, numb? Yeah, which I would have done as a kid. So I was like, that, the world was scary. People thought I was shy. I was out. Mm-hmm. Jada, peace out, right? Too many comedians. Right. I didn't know what the heck was going on. They were talking about ABCs. I was like, what are we talking about? Like, this is a foreign language. What is even happening? Scared and right. like just shut down because there wasn't, or cried, right? But I wasn't attended to, right? right? Hayden is attended to. He is treated in a way that is so dignified, right? They don't, like he, this is an example. Hayden doesn't have consent here. He doesn't get to tell that I'm sharing this on a podcast. But like, you know, at some point he'll understand it, right? But like, let's say, um, you know, he has a difficult time and he starts saying things that, that are harmful or hurtful, right? Because he's literally losing it, right? What they what they've done is they said, you know what? I can see how angry you are, but Hayden isn't angry. That's your anger talking. You see what they right. just did? Right. It's not. You're not bad. Mm-hmm. The behavior is bad, which yeah, was a the behavior is scary. Thing. Right. Or even like when I was growing up, I every my default is shame. Anytime mm-hmm. I was in trouble, I would go to shame. But I did not understand the difference between me being bad. And what I was doing mm-hmm. was bad, whatever I was being, you know, uh, uh, disciplined for, right? Mm-hmm. For me, it was, I'm bad. It wasn't what I'm doing was bad. And that yes. has carried through my yes. entire life yes. as shame and guilt when something happens that is not ideal for me. Yeah. So so let's take you through my process, right? So I used Hayden, right? But me as a parent, I'm highly empathetic too. And I have a very knee-jerk response to being good enough parent, um, making sure that I'm responsible, I'm raising uh, a child to the best of my ability. This has always been, it's not perfectionism necessarily. Like, you know, like I know I'm not gonna be a perfect parent, right? But like, I wanna make sure because I have, I'm response able, I'm able to respond. I have the 
you know, I have the awareness, then I'm doing the best for my kid, right? So I'm mm-hmm. experiencing this. So as a parent, right, who's highly empathetic or maybe even not, let's say, right? It's stressful. And so, right. you know, in that exchange, my kid who's highly empathetic is also looking at me who's anxious about his anxiety. Right. It's right. a dog And I need to regulate myself. I am getting mm-hmm. not dysregulated because I, I know this is anxiety. I am an adult, right? This is anxiety. This is social anxiety. He's in a safe space. These people care for him. This is only this moment. It's, 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 it's tension right now because the anxiety is manifesting is that he cannot escape it. I know this because mm-hmm. I'm a therapist, right? He cannot escape it. Right. I have to hold that boundary. I'm dying on the inside. I'm literally dying. And then I go into my car and I cry. Okay, I right. cry. I release, right? Because it's right. stressful. I love him so much. I hate to see him in pain, right? right. But let's imagine the same kid. No, no support system. Nobody to externalize the feeling from the identity, the person, right? right? They start to say, you're bad. They put him in punishment, right? Then he comes home. And he goes to try to express his, his day. Or maybe, you know, he's be acting out because as seven-year-olds, they don't necessarily express their day. They just sort of act out, mm-hmm. right? Or maybe he shut down and the parent takes it personal. The parent's feeling these things, right. doesn't understand what's going on, has their own history of trauma they're contending with. Maybe they're drinking. Mm-hmm. Kids experiencing something. You've got no time for it. Shut that down. Because guess what? I'm shutting it down within myself, Right. right. So when I look at what you're saying about your early childhood experience, that that is adverse childhood experiences, right? That is trauma, whether someone wants to say that or not. You know, these things are reinforced in early childhood and manifest as symptoms. Okay, so we cut back to Jada, I'm autistic, Jada, I'm ADD, and I know you, and I'm like, no, you're not. And I know you want to hold on to that. I could be. No. I could be. No. No, that, that that these diagnoses have gone in a little bit like I am highly sensitive. Yes, that's different. That's not autistic. It, there's a relatability and a, a, a lack of relatability between the two. Highly sensitive person can can look autistic, can have sensory sensitivities. A someone who is on the spectrum is almost like they have sensory sensitivities, but it, it's a little more disorganized. Right, it's a little more disorganized, and it there's a lack of relatability, and usually, it manifests as rigidity and needing that rigidity, which is like repetitive patterns. Oh, I'm rigid, and then oh, I'm rigid. Well, that's anxiety. So it's hard to mm-hmm. right. So when you're going to a therapist, the diagnosis is less important. Right. I only use a diagnosis so I can give my clients a super bill. So possibly, if they have a PPO, right. they can get reimbursement right. for their time with me. Okay, but yeah, because a diagnosis is not going to cure you unless no. unless your diagnosis requires um, a drug and that drug magically is the perfect drug for you. And yes. it's exactly what you needed. But sometimes the diagnosis provides some relief. The question I would have right. a and valid validity. Valid, yes. But that's what you're seeking. You're not seeking, yes. you know, really validity from a diagnosis. You're seeking validation and acceptance of your process. And oh, that's my why experience. That's, that's right. And that's why you go to a therapist because a good therapist yeah. will validate till you're like, okay, enough. <laughs> they're going to validate. They're going to normalize. Right. So you, I, I would be mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, 
yeah, I can imagine. Like I, I'm sitting here listening to you talking about the story about you sitting at that table having to push down your feelings, and I'm feeling pushed down. Where do you feel that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you might be like, oh, like the knot in my throat, or it's heavy in my chest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you give yourself some space here to feel whatever you're pushing down? So I am, and then and then I might say, if I notice you're like, oh God, what what is she doing? I might say, you know what? Take your time. Mm-hmm. On your terms. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I'm holding a boundary for you. I'm, I'm saying, you tell me. I'm not pushing it. Like, you see a lot of, um, like, hey, I'm a trauma-informed coach. Or I'm a trauma. That, like, there's a, a lot of responsibility with working with trauma. I'm not quick mm-hmm. to be like, let's do it. Right. You know what I mean? Because I have to be right. so present. I have to be so present to my own experience as I am witnessing yours. And I have to notice what is coming up for me. And if you don't have the training, I'm telling you, don't do it. Like, don't do it right. unless you are not trying to fix people. But if unless you're really, really aware of yourself and your impact, mm-hmm. you have to be responsible. Right. So there's the ethics and there's, you know, the right. ethics and the legal considerations that a therapist will have over somebody who might have a certification in something. Right. Right. And I think like because I talk a lot about 12 steps and I talk mm-hmm. a lot about therapy and they both together have been really great for me and they both separately are very different than each other. Mm-hmm. And um, I've done group therapy, too. It was not my favorite. It wasn't for me. Um, and the great thing about the 12 steps programs when you go to meetings or whatever is that it is just about sharing your experience in a room full of people who have probably had similar experiences and no one is supposed to give advice or suggestion. Like they, you can, sometimes they're like, you know, it's just suggestion or whatever, but really it's kind of frowned upon to give advice or suggestion. And Mm -hmm. it's more just about learning how to hold space for other people and support them through whatever they want to share. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's like a really important skill that a lot of people don't have. I'm working on that skill myself because oftentimes when someone's confiding in me or has a problem, I the anxiety of whatever they're feeling or my anxiety to want to fix it for mm-hmm. them is so great that I'm constantly trying to figure out how to fix it for them. And most of the time, they're not looking for me to fix it. I'm not their doctor. I'm not their therapist. I'm not their anything. I... They're not even looking for me to offer a suggestion or advice or to fix it. They just want to share it because mm-hmm. I know in me sharing my experience, it's been really helpful. But for some reason, when someone's sharing their experience w- with me, me just listening for somehow it is hard for me to think that that's enough. Mm-hmm. But the great thing about these 12 steps is no one is taking it upon themselves to um, cure someone's trauma mm-hmm. or to try to... Um, help someone through a traumatic event their help is just witnessing yeah. and and you know you know give me a call if you want to talk but it's not about i'm going to fix it for you yeah, i'm going to, to talk you off the ledge or anything like that let's, let's think about that right to bear witness to bear yes. witness to somebody's experience is mm-hmm. the most sacred thing that you can do you know and i say that and i can feel that's how sensitive i am right i can feel myself well right because that validity mm-hmm. the validation mm-hmm is so reinforcing right. and it's so transforming, right? So look, I, I tell people right away, I'm not fixing you because you know, you know my history, you know, my empathy turned distorted. Mm-hmm. I was a serial fixer. Right. <laughs> Sick. 
right? Mm-hmm. And and I would get reinforced because it, you know I could be helpful temporarily, mm-hmm. but I was not transforming right. or helping people anyway. We talked about this last episode, right? Yeah, you were very upset when you figured I'm upset out now. In your schooling <laughs> that you. Had. But you were really upset when you realized in your schooling that you couldn't fix anybody and yes. that they would have to fix themselves. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that you would just be a vehicle <laughs> to help them do that. Come into my car. You're really? I'm, I'm hanging out. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 but the, the power is in witnessing. The power is in holding that space. And what that means is it's radically accepting their experience without cross talking and, right. Now, sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, what will happen in, in therapy with people who have trauma is they sort of start to spiral as they're feeling emotions. So they're really, what that tells me is they're really attached to that narrative, right? So they're like- Right, you're like re-traumatizing yourself in talking about it. Yeah, and so in those moments, I'll be like, pause. Right? I, I, I narrate, like, this is what's happening. You know, you are going into a shame- cycle or you're going into a you know a trauma cycle but you're re-traumatizing your body right now and i can see how dysregulated you're getting in your body so do you mind we can talk about that about this when you're calm in your body but do you mind bringing your attention to your body right now and let's do a body scan then mm-hmm. when you're regulated right when you've learned oh i can have these spirals i can notice them and i can come back to my body and i can regulate then once you're regulated, we could talk about the content. We can process the content, but you cannot do it. What people try to do is they try to fix it. You know, they try to alleviate the dysregulation through the thinking. It it mm-hmm. it doesn't work. So again, anytime you see people claim to think positive or change your thinking or right, and therefore you'll change your experience, not with trauma. And it's a mm-hmm. complete disservice to those people when you say that. Preaching positivity is so toxic because there it's not organized. You're mm-hmm. reshaming somebody in your right, efforts right. to bring them out of it, right? Thank you for saying that because I think there is quite a bit of um, uh, these mantras of like, you know, you can think your way into a different feeling. And I think a lot of times maybe you can, but I think it does omit a certain bit of the population that has suffered from severe trauma or just any kind of trauma. And it it is a giant gaslight to mm-hmm. someone because in a lot of cases, people's brains have been changed. Mm-hmm. And it's not so mm-hmm. easy just to look on the bright side or just change your thinking or put a smile on your face. You'll feel better. You're never going to be the same. You, Jillian, will right. never be the same because of the things that you've gone through in your life. You know, and good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because you're at a place now where even though you might still struggle here or there, you know, and it might show up in the present moment, you do have actual agency over it. And you're redirecting it into mm-hmm. something that matters. And that's what I really love about this podcast, right? Because you're not claiming that mm, I'm the expert here. And and I, I want to mm-hmm. also let you know, I'm not claiming that I'm the expert here. And that is not how I work as a therapist, right? I want my clients to be the expert here. I am mm-hmm. just, you know, a fellow traveler who has a, a shitload of education, you know, and some experience in working with it. And I've got a very strong intuitive uh, response. Mm-hmm. 
and I'm 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 pretty bulldoggy and I'm um pretty courageous. Great. So I that's- and, and when she's saying bulldog, that's a highlight for people who might go into therapy and smile when they talk about trauma or make jokes mm-hmm. when they talk about trauma or are really disconnected where they yeah. can talk about things that are very traumatic but um, have not worked through that yet. Mm-hmm. So it, when you hear her talk about a bulldog, you're if you're getting ready to look for a therapist and you haven't had one before, you haven't had the right one, you want to look for someone who is going to hold you accountable. Mm-hmm. That's what she's talking about, bulldogging. That's the type of therapist I need. <laughs> it's the type of therapist I need and I require because yeah. I quickly will take over. I will mm-hmm. I will take You're over. You're controlling the, it. Yep, yeah, I will control it. And I will, if um, uh, the last thing I want to do is uh, show vulnerability. So I will make jokes. Mm-hmm. I will smile. I will do a whole stand-up comedy act to avoid being real about what we're really talking about, which is an interesting choice considering I'm paying money to actively avoid what I've come to do. Yeah, you're also an entertainer, right? Right. So entertainers are by nature doing that, right? Deflecting, right, what is there and redirecting it and magicians, right? Um, and, and And you also have that thing where you felt responsible for the felt state of another, mm. which is Al-Anon, right? So that Al-Anon program is yeah. like child of an alcoholic. You're naturally responsible for your dad's mood. And so you better mm. pull it together as a kid, right? That, like that makes sense, mm. right? But like you grew up being responsible and it gets reinforced and reinforced over again, you know? And so, yeah, bulldog for me is if you were controlling session, I would be like, Jillian, are you done controlling the session? <laughs> and then well, I might laugh. <laughs> you know, but it depends on, like, if I was working with right. you, you know, because. Right, you know me. Yeah, like that. and I'm like, although I love the stand-up, like, like, like I can totally right. hang, and this is exciting. You're not paying right. me to do that, so let's get real, right? So what right. is happening right now that you're using humor as a way to mask what's happening in the room as you're talking about this thing? There's a discomfort. Where do you feel it? Yeah. And you'd, my, be like, uh, you'd be like, I hate you. <laughs> right. My therapist likes to say, but how did that feel? Yeah. <laughs> because I can't lie about how that actually feels. Like, I'm not going to tell you something terrible and be like, it felt great. Yeah. And I'm not a, I'm not a numb person. I don't, I don't, um, I, I don't know if I've felt too many times in my life of, of every, the things that I've experienced that I've gone numb. Mm-hmm. I, it's, that's just not something I experience. I might go into more of a fantasy land or I might, yeah, you know, but you, dis- you could dissociate, but yeah. yeah, but I, but it's, I, I'm well aware of pain. Like I, I'm mostly always in a pain feeling of something. So when she says, well, how did that, you know, how did that feel? I'm like, oh, how dare you ask me that? Now I'm going to cry. Like I can't be, <laughs> I can't lie about this. And then you're going to apologize for crying. And then, then, right. You know, you're going to be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm crying. I never, I never apologize for crying. For you. Uh, I don't, uh, uh, but it doesn't mean I'm not humiliated by it. <laughs> I like hate it and I don't like it. Um, when I first started going to Al-Anon meetings and um, I, for some reason, would make myself share in every meeting um, and every meeting I would I would cry and I would be so humiliated and then I would go back the next week and I'd be like you have to share again and I would cry and I would be so humiliated and I'm not even talking about it was so insane that I could not talk about anything that mattered to me even a little bit Mm -hmm. 
without crying. And I, you know, I kept doing, kept doing, kept doing. And eventually I was able to share without crying, which that's not necessarily the goal, but I was happy with that goal because it meant that I could start actually talking about things that mattered without falling apart. Uh, Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I wanted to get to a place where I could clearly, concisely talk about these things with not so much emotional charge. Mm -hmm. But you, but you have, right? You're looking at your episodes and, you know, I listened to it and you can, you can tell that like, this is process based, right? That's what makes your episode so good to me is that you're giving people insight into your process, which is very rare, right? And you're able to articulate that narrative. And it sounds like the, um, like that narrative is integrated, right? As you speak about it, Mm -hmm. it's not disorganized. It's not erratic and chaotic, right? It's not even rigid, right? So I'd be looking for those behaviors, not so much the diagnoses, right? So the diagnoses is relevant to me. Um, Let's say somebody comes in with um, binge eating disorder, let's say, right? And they have a history Mm of, uh, sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Okay. And let's say they are overweight. Okay. You know, binge eating, you know, they might be overweight, purging, they might be just above weight, right? Um, those are only markers, right? But like sometimes the weight gain is protective, right? Because they were just raped. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes sense, right? Why would you want to be? "Quote unquote attractive and vulnerable." It's it's complicated, right? But when we go into like, you know, judging people based on their form and just sort of looking at form without what's underneath it, we judge people for being overweight. And you spoke a lot about that with noticing that your dad did that, right? But we don't know, like, you know, whether that's body type, whether that's you know, uh, a, a, right. a physiological thing that's going on, hormonal. Yeah, right? it could be a side effect of a steroid. Uh, yeah, it could be, you know, like, like you just had a child. It could be you're pregnant. It could yeah, be like yeah. Shut so up. many things. <laughs> right? Because like yeah, until we get like, to the point yeah. where we're comfortable with the uncomfortable, meaning like we're never going to be comfortable mm-hmm. with that, right? But like we're able to navigate it within our own experience. We're never going to be helpful to anybody. We're going to be toxic to each other. So that's also what I love, like quotes that say, you know, like, you know, don't be around toxic people. I'm like, oh, my God, like, try it. (laughs) Where are you going to (laughs) go? Where do you escape from? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I can't even escape my own toxicity. (laughs) Exactly. So that avoidance, right? I look for avoidance behaviors and I tend to sort of try as a fellow traveler that's in my car right steering them into the direction with their consent right Mm -hmm. to the behaviors that elicit some anxiety Mm -hmm. into the direction of their valued or their stated values not mine theirs right Mm -hmm. it's hard work right this is the homework that I do notice more right this is the intervention you need to turn that part of your brain on so that we can get going right and i know it's hard and i'm with you right whatever shows up notice that 
If you're self-punishing by judgment, notice that too, because that's a, that's a good one. We do that to get ourselves out of it. it. Doesn't work. Everybody's doing that. Like, you know, it's that like that external critic that is reinforced the internal critic, and we just nail ourselves and like beat ourselves up, like you were doing, right? Mm-hmm. In order to get yourself skinnier, more lovable, mm-hmm. away controlling, uh, you know, the emotional piece that wasn't attended to because it's unsafe to be in your feelings because it wasn't modeled and nor was it held. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah. Period. <laughs> Period. Okay. Here yeah. we'll do a little, we'll do a little practice therapy. Okay. So this is a true role story play? for me. This happened. Yeah. We're role, role playing except my script is real. Um, Great. <laughs> I'm, I will be playing myself in this role. Um, so two days ago, this is a true story. I put on a pair of jeans that I haven't put on in a while. Now, these jeans, categorically for me, are jeans that fit with some excess. They are supposed to fit. uh, In the past, they've always fit easily and not tight and have felt like um, I have different, like many people with eating disorders, I have uh, different wardrobes within my wardrobe. Mm -hmm. I have wardrobe from when I was so skinny. I have this weird, hopeful That you won't let it go. be able to wear that again. Yep. Yes. Um, I have clothes that, um, you know, are more recent that are probably purchased with whatever my body type is right now. And then I have stuff that is oversized because in my recovery, I started to realize that feeling certain tight clothing Mm -hmm. on me was triggering and I felt more comfortable if I was swimming in something Mm -hmm. because it didn't elicit the same response. Mm -hmm. So I have those types of clothing too. So this would fit in the probably like... I don't know, medium category of like something that traditionally would just fit normally and would not feel tight. I put those jeans on and they were so tight. They mm-hmm. were tight. I It was hard to like put the button on. They were like fitting, like my butt was taking up a lot of the room in them, mm-hmm. which like made them feel like they weren't fitting quite right. And I, I, you know, immediately there's like this panic of like, oh my God, I can't believe I don't fit into another pair of jeans. Oh my God, am I really that much bigger? Oh my God, mm-hmm. these are the jeans that always fit. Oh my God, I hate the way this feels. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I'm expanding out. These are like, they look terrible. Can I can I tolerate wearing them? And that immediately was like, absolutely not. I cannot tolerate wearing these. These are just going to remind okay. me Pause. Of how I feel. Pause. And then I took them off and I put different jeans on. Yeah, that's escape. But, but wait, pause. I'm going, yes. you're going to be able to resume, but you need to, okay. you need to, you need to remember what you're going to say. I'm not going to remember okay. it because I don't know what you're going to say. All right. Okay. Those thoughts that you had. Yeah. All those thoughts, say them again. Uh, I can't believe these jeans don't fit. Mm-hmm. They normally always fit. I can't stand the way this feels mm-hmm. right now. I'm obviously the fear of gaining weight, mm-hmm. being bigger, taking up more space, uh, being unappealing, being not a body type, mm-hmm. type I like flashing back to when maybe I first purchased the jeans also to like photos that I have of me in the Mm -hmm. jeans when they were baggy Mm -hmm. on me uh, that I have posts on Instagram from Mm -hmm. years ago like oh back then these were very baggy and I wish I looked like that I want my body back to being that small what can I do to do that there's nothing in this moment I can Mm -hmm. do how can I do that in the future Mm -hmm. that's a lot of energy uh, right this is gonna ruin my fucking day (laughs) that's (laughs) it already has so that is a lot of energy yeah Right, that that, that is expe- that is that is driven in the direction of trying to resolve something that's unresolvable, trying to control something that is mm-hmm. uncontrollable, right, unmanageable. And what I would have you do right there is, can you just notice those thoughts, right? 
mm-hmm. as if they're on a train going by. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you might say, no, I'm staying on that train. I'm like, but could you get off? Yeah, I jumped right on it and I'm going to oh, yeah. ride it to the end of the station. Right, right. Until you take it off, right? Can you notice yeah. on that train what's underneath? those thoughts can you notice maybe the feelings that are there underneath those thoughts you said fear right what else did you say right could you I mean, as you're saying it you you could feel a little bit of it yeah yeah fear anxiety guilt shame you know all of the the all of the best hits where do you feel it album you know um i always feel shame and guilt uh very deep like more in my um not in my stomach but in my uh I don't, would it, would it be solar plex? I don't like in my gut, more in mm-hmm. my gut. Mm-hmm. And it, it also, for some reason, and I haven't quite figured this out yet, um, that the guilt and shame that I feel is always tied to sexual guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. Like it feels the same. Mm-hmm. So there's something very much related to my body looking a certain way or not. And the shame of that is, is kind of always tied to like parental sexual shame. Mm-hmm. So it's deep, it's old. So like there's a, cause there's a different, yeah. So it's, it, there's always like a, there, I, I have different shame feelings, right? There's like the shame feeling of like getting called out in a classroom, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I'm not doing, I'm, I'm a bad student, mm-hmm. right? There's the shame of like doing something ethically or morally bad, you know, oh, how dare you? You know, like this childhood feels very young, you know, like kindergarten kind of mm-hmm. thing. And then there's like general shame and guilt, which is kind of like kind of omnipresent for me mm-hmm. <laughs> as I work, walk through life and body stuff is always, and it, it always feels like parental, like sexual guilt from a parent, like, mm-hmm. you know, your, whatever this, you know, sexuality you know, like it's, you're bad, it's, it's, you know, shameful, and you should have guilt about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the thoughts are irrelevant. Mm-hmm. What you just took me through right there is what you're trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. The feeling, right? And yeah. all these different parts of those feelings are connected to different experiences, right? So what I'd have right. you do- Well, and the, the pants being tight is especially like, now I will be unattractive, it could affect my career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And well, there's something tied with being unattractive to being unlovable. Yeah. Obviously. And those are, yeah. And survival, right? Your career. Yes. Yeah, so then uh, anytime you bring in career, it's survival. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. It's a survival state, right? And so, again, not that it's irrelevant, like it doesn't matter. It matters. But though that stream of consciousness that is occurring, right, that you're spending a lot of energy trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. That process right there, can you just watch it go by and maybe, you know, in your mind, like exit, exit mm-hmm. that train, meaning mm-hmm. you don't have to identify with it, right? Because when a lot of times it was when you get good at conceptualizing, right, you're going to start identifying, getting fused to those thoughts, right? It's almost like it becomes the, the thing that helped you originally becomes your worst nightmare right so i'm asking Mm -hmm. you say okay you know what like that's there all good they're not going away we're not fighting them like just let it go by right Mm -hmm. and then bring yourself back to the feeling of shame and where you feel it right Mm -hmm. and i also understand that's not going away either Mm -hmm. right no one likes to hear this like especially from your therapist like it's not going away but why are you fighting it meaning why are you right avoiding that feeling when you can just attend to that feeling and it's real simple, right? Attend to that feeling, regulate that feeling, 
and there might just be, you know, you might take off the pants, right? Because that just might be re-triggering, mm-hmm. but you might do it, right. you know, in a, in a slower way and be, and, you know, and say something kind to yourself, maybe, right? Like, right. Because I, it's sensory like too. In the, yeah. In the past, I feel like I would have worn them as a punishment to remind mm-hmm. myself of what I needed to do. So nowadays I'm like, that doesn't feel good today. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel good on my body. Like I need to feel something that doesn't feel like that. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> Which is just mm-hmm. present, right? Like, Mm-hmm. like tuning into what your body needs, which is nurturing your body. That's a different reframe than punishing your body. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So I, you know, like I like certain loose pants, you know, and it's not so much the dancer in me. Although I would mm-hmm. say that like I dance better in loose pants and tight pants just because mm-hmm. I feel free, you know, but also there's a sensory thing for me with things that are too tight or too thick. And it could be connected to, um, you know, not disordered eating, but definitely dysmorphia, <laughs> you know, definitely like, like I don't see myself, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, from being a dancer. Um, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, like I, it, it's okay. Like I'm not changing these things, but it doesn't get to run the show mm-hmm. in that moment. Right. You're, you're giving me, we're doing a role play. Right. But in that moment, you're mm-hmm. telling me all these thoughts and you're like living it out. And this is content based. And I'm saying mm-hmm. it doesn't get to run the show. It can be there, but you're just going to watch it go by. Yeah. And what I really mm-hmm. want you to do is hold space for whatever that shame feeling is. You don't need to fuse to it because fusing to it would be like, I'm starting to run with those thoughts again. I'm, I'm, this is real. Right. Right. This is old. Right. Like the difference between noticing shame and I am shame. Yes. Like I should It's different. It's extra- the difference between yeah. Hayden. Hayden mm-hmm. doesn't mean these things that he's saying. That's anger speaking. It's anxiety mm-hmm. right. speaking, right? Like right. you'd say to a child, hopefully, right? right? Mm-hmm. You're right. not bad. You're not bad at all. The, right. You're the kid that can't even stand someone squishing a bug. You're the advocate for, for right. bugs, you know? Like, um, you know, you, you're hurt or you're scared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're panicked. I get that. Yeah. It's scary sometimes, right? But you're safe. You know, you'd be talking to yourself like this. I had a friend uh, or a fellow, a friend fellow in um, in OA, which is Overeaters Anonymous, uh, that I did an outreach call to one time, you know, I was like kind of struggling and I was just like, hey, I'm really struggling with A, B and C, you know, just doing an outreach call. And she said, yeah, that's 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 the name of the game. We're all just here together riding these waves, Mm -hmm. riding these waves. And I thought in the moment I was like, well, that's not at all helpful. Thanks a lot. You know, like I was like, I don't know what I expected her to to say or do in that moment. But the interesting thing is the longer I think about it, it stuck in my head. Mm -hmm. And the longer I think about it, the more I realize the genius in what she was saying, which was the way the feelings are going to come. You ride them like a wave. Mm -hmm. They come, they're big. They might be a tsunami. Mm -hmm. You're going to ride it. Mm -hmm. You are, you're not going to let it crash you. You're going to get on top of it. You're going to ride it. And it might take a second because it's a giant wave. Mm -hmm. And eventually that wave is going to pass. Yeah. And And then the next wave you'll be out there waiting for. Right. That's very Zen. It's very like Buddhist. It's very Eastern, right? right? Is that like our attachment to things is what causes our suffering. You know, mm. but also living in this right. world. That's like the main Buddhism thing. Yeah. yeah. It's like all suffering. <laughs> all suffering is from attachment. Yeah. But think about it. It's kind of true when it comes to emotional states or some of the streams of thinking that we, that we hold onto, we cling to, even felt states of happiness and flow. Mm. Our suffering will 
come up if we're clinging to happiness, like pushing positivity. Because that's just not what, that's just not life. And that's not me being negative. All I look for in my clients is the ability, like if I know that we're meeting our goals, is they're able to connect with themselves and others. Mm-hmm. They have an ability to be flexible, cognitively flexible in the moment, meaning they're not black or white thinking. They're they're moving through gray, right? Mm-hmm. And they're able to regulate emotions, meaning not, not have them. Like we're not talking about being stoic or calm. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. We are not monks on a mountain. We're living here right now, right? With people who are crazy and a world that's frenetic. You know, and, and I've always said that. I'm like, hold on. These monks, everyone's like, these monks, they are so peaceful. I'm like, yeah, because they're not in a Trader Joe's parking lot. Yeah. Like, give me a break. Yeah. Like, yeah. hello. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Don't idolize anybody. Right. <laughs> like, this is the thing. Even your therapist, don't idolize your therapist. Your therapist is going through it, too. I will right. always tell people this is hard. And I know this because I go through it. Mm-hmm. The difference is, is I'm not you right now. I'm right. I'm observing you and I have some skill set. Mm-hmm. But if you like, you know, like I'm talking about like dropping Hayden off and experiencing his pain and going into the car and just crying and then overthinking, mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. all the things, right? And then yeah. I have to catch myself and I have to redirect and allow myself to feel and I, I give myself some like grace and mm-hmm. say, you know what? He's safe and he's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. All I have to do is regulate myself and be there for him when he comes home. Give him space to talk. Give him space if he doesn't want to talk. Right? Mm-hmm. And 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 hold a space to know that my kid is learning the hard stuff now. He's learning what it means to have grit in a chaotic mm-hmm. world. He's learning how to regulate his feelings through identifying them. And I mean, the kid gets like, like decompressing breath work he does all the finger tappings i mean he knows how to do it too it's amazing yeah he gets to be pulled Mm -hmm. out he gets to acknowledge what he needs in any given moment and he'll say you know what i cannot concentrate he's like where's my headphones (laughs) oh my god what a luxury i know and he's got like what a luxury a little thing that like almost like a like a um what's it called name it like a cubicle thing. So it's like a, oh, a it's got a little cup. private area. Yes. A private area in his seat. He's facing a certain direction. He gets to walk around if he needs to, as long as he's not distracting. So there's no boundaries. Right. 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 And when he, he had, he's not going to test, but like if, if he does an assessment or whatever, he gets pulled out into his own space with an adult. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am jealous. Yes. And at yes, the same time, too. yeah, thank God, you know, but like, when you're built a certain way, I don't need to call it ADD or a diagnosis. I don't need people to accept Hayden. I need Hayden to accept Hayden. Mm-hmm. My job is just to love him, you know, like, yeah. and accept him, but to, to demonstrate, like, I love him regardless. All of this stuff. Oh, your job, matter. your job isn't to make him into a version of you that you want. Well, and that's also is that not is that not the parenting is that not what we're supposed well and, is that and guess did what? I miss it you know guess what <laughs> that is such mm-hmm. an easy hijack mm-hmm. it is a thing that I bump up against a lot potentiality kind of mm-hmm. catastrophizing his potential I mean he's 
27. Mm-hmm. Give me a break. You know what I mean? And I have yeah. to, I'm doing this battle in my head, you know, and I have to remind myself the, that this is a little bit of the puzzle. Right. Right. The big picture for him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got his own journey, his own purpose, his own, you know, thing. And it's not for me to project mine. Yeah. Right. It, it, that's such a hard thing. It's hard. It's a hard line for a parent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A parent said at a meeting once, um, my child is of me, but they are not me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a, a good way to put it. I, I think I hear a lot of what you're talking about with Hayden and I am been listening. I listen to a lot of audiobooks and podcasts and stuff when I drive around and I've been listening to this audiobook called What Happened to You. And mm-hmm. it's by this doctor named Dr. Perry and Oprah. And he's um, been uh, huge into trauma. That's his been main his main focus for a really long time. He's an expert in it, and um, he talks about resiliency mm-hmm. in uh, in this in this book and how resilient. You know, we often are quick to say that children are resilient, but he had said that uh, no one is naturally resilient. Mm-hmm. That it's something that you have to kind of curate and create, and that. When we say, oh, children, that happened to them when they were so young, they're resilient, what usually happens is they've just kind of pushed the trauma down. Mm -hmm. But if they have people around them that are helping them identify when they're ready, talk about things Mm -hmm. when a trauma when they're ready, and then helping guide them with their lead, like Mm -hmm. which is pretty much what therapy is, right? You don't go to therapy and a therapist says, so tell me what happened yesterday. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not that kind of interrogation. You lead it, and then they kind of help you through it. And how that is how resiliency is born is through a community and that sometimes a a, a strong community of people who can help children or someone through a difficult event in letting them lead the trauma and them supporting has been actually as beneficial or more than even having a therapist, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? So- um, so Hayden's lucky again. <laughs> He's very lucky. He's very lucky. Yeah. Um, and anyone is lucky if they have that. But also, uh, if you have that information, you can try to curate, find that, and be that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that book is uh, once again is called "What Happened to You." Mm-hmm. And then there's one other book that I read or I listened to a long time ago that I thought was uh, really great. It's kind of a standard in the mental health, uh, you know. Uh, uh, area i don't know if you've read it or not it's called the body keeps the score is the body yeah, keeps the score by, body holds the score the body keeps the score i did a i did a certification with that group um that's how i learned a lot about the trauma and that's why yeah and i take a lot of right. what i learned from that um into my practice yeah that's a, a great book it's a great resource mm-hmm. the other resource that i would say and i'm, I'm always preaching it is uh mona Delahook, uh beyond behaviors Right. So, you know, talking about like beyond behaviors. behaviors. Yeah. Beyond behaviors. She's, um, you know, she's a child psychologist, I believe. She's a child psychologist and she works with helping parents and teachers and, you know, people influencing children's lives to regulate because there's a whole bunch of literature and research about co-regulation. That's why I say that I have to regulate myself. It's not that I'm not going to get triggered as a parent. And co-regulation is for the parent or the caregiver or the person. It's a, it's a it, parent, child, or, or whoever, right? We co-regulate. Teacher, child, or whatever. Kid and okay. kid, right? So Hayden goes oh, okay. into school and he feels dysregulated because it's dysregulated. And there's things that people aren't seeing that he sees. And when you say dysregulated, what are some other words for that? Like out of alignment, um, you know, like 
uh, revved up or like yeah, panicked, you know, dissociated, you know, yeah, right. You're looking not at, at a calm state. No, You're not in a calm state. No, and and, and it does, not even calm, but like there's a window of tolerance, right? And we're trying to expand okay. this window of tolerance. And mm-hmm. if you're getting bumped out of your window of tolerance, you're, you're hyper aroused, meaning you're panicking. If you're getting bumped mm-hmm. below, you're hypo aroused, you're numbing, you're numbing, dissociated, whatever. Mm-hmm. We're trying to expand that window of tolerance so that we can, we can work through triggers and regulate, not stay calm, feel, right? Feel okay. whatever comes up, ride it like a wave, right? Mm-hmm. And then come back to center whatever that is. Okay. We all have different baselines. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely baseline anxious. I joke around about it, you know, because like I am not calm. There's nothing about my being that is calm and yet I'm regulated. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I know when I feel dysregulated and I know it by some of the purging of my thoughts that happen, but I'm less concerned about my thoughts and more concerned about the anxiety that I'm feeling in my body. And I seek to change that. Because that's what I do have control over. I don't have control over Hayden's day or, you know, uh, whether we go to war or not or climate change, mm-hmm. really. You know what I mean? I have control mm-hmm. over my own body, hopefully, unless, you, mm-hmm. you know, unless we get that taken away, too. But, like, I do have control right. over regulating my body, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Mona Delahook's Beyond Behavior, but what it does is it goes through, like, different pathways, red state, green state, you know, I uh, forget what the other one is, but like, you know, basically am I aroused? It gives you a framework that teaches you what regulation is and different sensory experiences. I tell people to read that book because it has to do with the polyvagal theory, which is all about the, mm-hmm. the vagus nerve and mm-hmm. that it's the largest nerve in your body. And it's what, how we bring in information and out the information through our body. And it, it is, the thing that impacts every organ, right? And so, right. you know, your stress level is really an important thing to look at, right? Uh, as you navigate the stressful world that we live in, but you do have things within the realm of your control. And so this gives you a really lovely framework, but it's intended to look at kids, but you can look at your own self through through this book, which whether you're an adult, you're a teacher, right? It's just helpful. Um, the other one, one second, I'm going to move and get it. But the other one I I um, really love, if somebody needs more structure, right? And this is, I, I use this framework in um, my practice because I was, I was um, this was uh, recommended to me by my, my former supervisor. And it's been really a great framework because it keeps me, gives me a framework so I can flow in between it. You know, like the artist in me likes, mm-hmm. likes the choreography. I don't want to do freestyle. Um, right. Right. It helps keep How me, dare you. Yeah, it helps How keep, dare you. keeps me grounded. Um, but it's called, it's, it's, it's acceptance commitment therapy. It's by uh, the doctor who created this particular um, framework, right. This particular um, intervention. It's What's it called again. Acceptance commitment therapy. It's, it's uh, act. acceptance commitment act like acting like yeah act like act yeah and so acceptance act what's the last uh, acceptance commitment draw today it's okay acceptance commitment therapy and this particular um book is a workbook that if let's say you're like you know let's say you're in therapy which i think sometimes if i feel like um like I have a client, let's say if I have a client who was doing well, but then gets bumped out, 
and they are getting into their thoughts, I will recommend this book. And so it looks like this. And it, when you say bumped out, you mean dysregulated. They're starting to get bumped out of their window tolerance. They're starting to get dysregulated. They're starting to really identify and get fused to their thinking. And they're starting to spiral, mm -hmm. right? And so we increase the frequency of sessions. They come back in, right? And this can happen in your life, depending on what's showing up, right? Because this is a journey, not a destination. But this says, get out of your mind and into your life. And it's Stephen Hayes. Um, okay. But it's a great workbook. Takes you through a nice structure. If you want, like homework, I particularly, I don't like homework. Um, but I, and I also don't like giving it. But I think for some people, it's a nice structure. Some people like assignments. They like workbooks. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's okay. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, in therapy, you can come back to that and revisit the chapters. I say, take it slow, right? A lot of people like to speed mm -hmm. through things, but you really, you know, you could do these workbooks over and over again and find new information. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Good. Mm -hmm. Well, Jada, please tell everybody, how can they uh, find you, especially if they might want recommendations for therapy? Maybe mm -hmm. they're interested in having you as a therapist if you had openings or, you know, just more information. How can they find you? I know you're on, you have a therapy Instagram. Yes. I, but Jada I, Therapy. Honestly, I'm not really on it. So you can go okay. there. There's a, probably about 15 posts. <laughs> you don't, you're not checking out the DMs on that account no, as no. much? No, I, I, okay. I'm too busy for that. And, and I really haven't figured it out. And I'm not really interested at this time. But um, you can call my, my, my business number, which is. Okay, I'll um, put the business number. Yeah, down. I'll give it to you. Um, also, It'll be in the show notes. Yeah. Also, psychology today, you'll find a database of therapists. Um, if you're in the okay. state of California, you could work with me because that's where my license is. But like, you know, if let's say you're in a different state, you need to go to a licensed therapist within that state. Um, and so you can go to psychology yeah. today and you can find me. I'm Jada Ellingham, right? J-A-A-Y-D-A. -A, -A, mm -hmm. a lot of vowels. Uh, mm -hmm. And then Ellingham, E-L-L-I-N-G-H-A-M. Um, I do telehealth. Uh, some people prefer in person. I'm not doing that right now, um, but uh, there are people. If you if you want to reach out to me and you would like recommendations, I do have a lot of great resources of other therapists who I think mm -hmm. are fantastic, um, and that might be a better match. Even so, I don't necessarily think that everybody's a good match for me, right? And I only really work with people yeah. that I feel like I can be of service to, and so I'm not just taking on right. anybody, right? So I, I would provide That's a good point because, yeah, I think it's important that I, I hear a lot of people sometimes that are like, oh, I went to a therapist once and it was terrible or that person said this. And, mm -hmm. and I, it always like, I'm always so disappointed because I'm like, oh man, like I know there's a therapist out there for you mm -hmm. because there's so many different type of therapists mm -hmm. and like different, not different all ways of working. are created equal. Yeah. And, and not all are created equal, like, like any profession, you know, it's like, there, you know, there are some mechanics that are going to be better than others. Mm -hmm. There are some, you know, customer service reps that are going to be better at their job than others. You I, know, I think it's just but your, for some your, reason when we get into therapy, it's like you all have to be good. Well, you all have to be the best. Right. And that's right. That's that's unfortunately, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately. Right. Like, you know, you're held to a higher standard as a therapist because you yes. are licensed and you have the education and, and you know, you have to know when you're of service and when you're not, and you have to be able to check in with yourself and know when you're at bad, when you've maxed out your bandwidth and when you haven't, right? I don't do um, uh, sweatshop therapy, 
right? I'm not just trying to get a lot, a load of clients. I want to do good work. I'm very process-based. I'm very active, right? And so I, I have a threshold of how many I would, how many clients I would be taking because I don't want to be disservice to the ones that I have. Mm-hmm. Right. But if I, if I'm like interested, <laughs> like I feel like, right. you know, I get excited when I'm hearing this. So people have to audition for you <laughs> totally. and, and, and they might. <laughs> Payback, baby. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. You're on the other side of the table. I got it. I got it. Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. But yeah. you know, but, but it is important to know if, if you could be of help. Right. Or if you're, yeah. if, if it's not a good match, you know, yeah. yeah. But I do want to encourage people to vet your therapist mm-hmm. like like you like like you know tr- like when you're looking at a therapist it's much more like an agent. A lot of people are afraid of their agents. Dance agent. I'm talking about like a dance mm-hmm. industry thing like oh my agent my agent it's like no but your agent works for you and yeah. and the therapist is similar in that way too. So like if you're not feeling it, if you don't feel and and this is another thing unfortunately it takes about 10 visits to a therapist before you can really feel safe with them, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, on average. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that can be hard to invest that kind of time mm-hmm. and money and then mm-hmm. realize that it's maybe not a good okay. fit. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's important to like really vet that person and see if they're right for you. And if they're not go somewhere else, you mm-hmm. know, and it, it can be, it's always really hard to switch therapists. Like if something happens, you can't see that person because it's hard to find a new person. And it does feel like starting over, yeah. although you are starting from a more healed place, but it's still like hard to give all that history again and everything like that. But I do think it's, it makes all the difference. Well, okay. It, it, just one, one more piece of information. Let's say you go to a therapist for 10 sessions. You can sign a release and ask that therapist to send over the notes to your new therapist or have them consult oh, with your new good therapist. To know. Yeah. Yeah. And and that kind of stuff like should be offered, right? But you know, most people are yeah. gonna be like, if you need me, I'm around, right? So I will right. I, I'm really about like I want to get my clients to become authentic. And I want them to be able to use me as a vehicle for authenticity. What that means is is getting real comfortable with what your needs are. When you are traumatized, your needs have been stripped. Your vocalization of your needs are not there, right? So even if it is, so I keep reaffirming, even if it is that I five sessions in don't feel right, I'm a I'm a I'm gonna be okay. Like you don't have to take care of me, right? So I, I narrate this. Right. Because I'm like, you know, what I want is that you have somebody who feels like a right match. So I'm there to help. I'm a resource. Mm-hmm. If I close out with somebody, you know, I'm like, I'm a, re- I'm still a resource. Though your file is closed. Uh, if you reach out and you need recommendations, I'll, I'll do my best. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I don't like, it's not about needing me. That would be unhelpful. Right. You know, and I think that's the big difference between going to someone without training versus like somebody who is bound to ethics and law, right? There's a lot, you know, just you have to look at those things. You actively have to look at those things. So anyway, but there's always a way, right? Um, But I can be a resource if somebody reaches out to me and they have a question, shoot me a text, the number will be there. Or if you want to come to me, I provide complimentary phone consults and we can talk. And what I do is I, 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 I'll finish, you know, they'll hear me, they'll get a feeling and then I get off the phone with them and I say, think about it. Mm-hmm. 
Right. You know, I, I don't push people. I'm not a, I'm not a salesperson, right? I don't push people yeah. into things if they're not ready. Great. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, I'll put all that stuff in the show notes. Jada, mm -hmm. thank you so much for coming back to Gray Maybe. And I'm sure I will pull you back on again. And we could do more role playing because every day is an opportunity for me to have a crisis. So um, I so <laughs> I so appreciate you lending your time and your expertise. I know our schedules have both been kind of hard. So I'm really glad that we were able to do this today. And I appreciate obviously your friendship mm -hmm. and then all of your expertise. It's so great. Thank you so much. I love you. I'll always end with I that. love you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I know. Thank you. The more I learn about other people and their situations surrounding their body and food, the more I realize so much of it is a coping mechanism in order to digest the way we feel. When it comes to getting help or therapy, the problem is some of us have been using those mechanisms for so long, we don't even know how we feel anymore. We've lost the connection to what that is. Jada, as a therapist, is a guide to help bring someone back to the physical body and emotion connection. I remember early in my ED recovery, a therapist asked me to notice where I felt things in my body. I scoffed. I'm a professional dancer. I know how my body feels. At least I thought I did. Until upon further investigation, I realized that my anxiety felt like starvation in my stomach, and starvation in my stomach felt like anxiety. That my shame almost always felt like sexual shame and the feeling of fullness felt like guilt and shame. They were all cycles. One triggered the other, which triggered the first one, and around and around I went. Although I'm a huge advocate of therapy, and I know Jada is as well, there are a lot of ways to get support if you're not ready or if you're having a hard time accessing. Some places offer sliding scale pricing or discounts for being seen by people like Jada while she was getting her hours before graduating and getting her license. These sessions are overseen by a licensed superior. Support groups, 12-step programs, books on the topic, and reaching out to people who have availed themselves and have some experience with recovery are all great options to explore. If you're ready to start therapy, try to give yourself at least 10 sessions to see if you like your therapist or not. Like any profession, not everyone is great at their job. Look up reviews, ask people for recommendations, and don't be afraid to shop around. If you've made it this far, thank you so much for listening. And I hope you were able to find something relatable in today's episode. As I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, this is also a social experiment to see if in telling my story, I can embolden listeners to share their stories. If you'd like me to read your recovery story on this topic, anonymous or otherwise, on the podcast, please email graymaybestories at gmail.com. G-R-E-Y-M-A-Y-B-E-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at gmail.com. Thank you to everyone who helped make this Gray Maybe podcast happen. Producer and editor, Roderick Barge. Cover photo by Jose Perez. Music licensed by Pixabay. Special counsel, Jada Ellingham and Roderick Barge. Special shout out to supporter, Patty Olgan. 
If you'd like to support this podcast, please rate, share, comment, and subscribe. Until next time, bye for now.